maybe 30 or 20 years ago, a Saudi might have said, I'm Muslim and I'm Arab and I'm Saudi. Now they might say, I'm Saudi and I'm Arab and I'm Muslim. You know, they're trying to radically refashion their country and they need help from the best experts in the world. Do you want to have your country's people be disqualified from that because of some essentially antiquated point of view about how countries work together? In recent months, it can feel like Saudi Arabia is intent on buying the world. It's bought up much of golf, sports teams, many of the globe's best soccer players to its own domestic league, and it owns huge chunks of many of the biggest companies on the planet. But Saudi Arabia is not just on a shopping spree. The once insular, oil-rich kingdom is transforming into a major diplomatic and military player, a pivotal actor in the energy transition, and looks set to host high-end cultural events like the FIFA World Cup. You know, they know that buying a football club immediately brings you a billboard into a global game that allows you to completely reposition yourself and rebrand yourself. It feels like we're entering the era of the Saudi project. But what exactly is the kingdom trying to achieve, and will it succeed? Coming soon from Intelligence Squared, the Saudi project is a new podcast series seeking to answer some of these questions and more. Britain does have choices. It's not either or situation. We either indulge Mohammed bin Salman or boycott Mohammed bin Salman. There is a third choice. Search The Saudi Project wherever you get your podcasts. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing... Right now, you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades – and we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Hello podcast listeners, Connor here from Intelligence Squared and welcome to this week's episode of the Sunday Debate. Today we're going back to February 2019 when we staged the motion the West should cut ties with Saudi Arabia. Now I'll give you some inside information. This debate was originally going to be about Mohammed bin Salman and whether he was the reformer that the Arab world and Saudi Arabia had been looking for. In the months before, there had been a lot of praise about his reforms to the kingdom. But in light of the gruesome murder of Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi embassy in Istanbul, the mood around the crown prince quickly changed and so did the battle lines of this debate. It's one of our most popular videos on YouTube with over 1.6 million views and we hope you enjoy it. Now let's go to the episode. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Emmanuel Centre on this cold, wintry night here in London for what I am sure will be an impassioned Intelligence Squared debate. Absolutely fantastic that we have pretty well a full house tonight to debate the motion the West should cut ties with Saudi Arabia. This is an issue, many of you will know, which came into sharp focus in October with the murder of this prominent Saudi journalist, Jamal Khashoggi. And the crime is not going away. Last night, millions of people saw Jamal's smiling face during an ad which appeared during America's premier sporting event, the Super Bowl. And the issue is not going away when it comes to relations, be it political, military, economic, diplomatic, with the Saudi Kingdom and its de facto ruler, Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince. Saudi Arabia is the driving force in a devastating war in Yemen, but it carries great political weight across the region and beyond. 
It's carrying out unprecedented social and economic reform, but there's continuing restrictions on women's rights and repression of dissent. And Saudi Arabia matters when it comes to global oil and financial markets. The ties matter, but should they be kept or should they be cut? Ladies and gentlemen, that is our motion for tonight. Our first speaker for the motion is Mehdi Hassan, known, I'm sure, to many of you. Prominent journalist, outspoken broadcaster, a star of Al Jazeera television. He's the host of Upfront and Head to Head. He is also a columnist for The Intercept. He's host of the Deconstruct broadcast podcast. Hmm. And our first speaker tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. I stand before you tonight to make the case for the motion. And as I do, a number of names and faces flash through my mind. People who are counting on me and on you tonight to speak for them in this debate, to give them a voice tonight with your votes. Lujain Al-Hafrul, for example, a young women's rights activist who was jailed in 2014 for trying to drive her car in Saudi Arabia. Upon her release from prison, she went to live in the UAE, where last March she was grabbed on the side of the freeway, put in cuffs, thrown on a private jet and taken back to Saudi Arabia against her will. Today, aged just 29 years old, she sits behind bars for the temerity of asking for women to have the right to drive. Lujain, according to her sister, as we speak tonight, is being held in solitary confinement, where she's been beaten, waterboarded, electrocuted, sexually harassed and threatened with rape and murder. Isra al-Ghomgom is also 29 years old. She's a young Shia human rights activist arrested with her husband in 2015 for carrying out peaceful protests, not for anything violent. And yet Saudi prosecutors are seeking to behead her, to execute her. She would be the first female human rights activist to be executed in this way. According to Human Rights Watch, Isra has not been charged or convicted with any acts of violence or even anything, quote, resembling recognizable crimes. The blogger Rafe Badawi had his 35th birthday last month behind bars. He hasn't seen his kids for seven years. He was sentenced for the crime of apostasy to 10 years in prison and a thousand lashes, lashes, 50 of which he's already had to endure. His wife says his health has deteriorated in prison and he won't survive another round of flogging, flogging. Amal Hussein was seven years old, a little girl in Yemen, the same age as my daughter. She posed a threat to no one. And yet there she was in that harrowing photo in the New York Times last November. Her emaciated body, her stick-like arms. Within a week of that report, she was dead. Literally starved to death. We in the West saw her picture. We saw her haunting eyes. And yet we did nothing to help her. We've done nothing to help the other 1.8 million severely malnourished children in Yemen who are suffering from a famine and a cholera crisis caused by a Saudi-imposed blockade. And then there's Jamal Khashoggi. Jamal, who was sitting with me in the green room at Al Jazeera English last March, as we joked about his security while the crown prince was in town in D.C. Less than seven months later, he was dead. Brutally murdered inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, his body allegedly cut to pieces with a bone saw. And murdered, remember, according even to the CIA, on the direct orders of the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Ladies and gentlemen, let's not forget these people tonight in this debate. Lujain, Isra, Raif, Amal, Jamal, people who have been killed, dismembered, tortured, flogged, imprisoned, starved, sexually assaulted at the hands of our ally, our close friend, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Now, I'm guessing we'll hear a lot of whataboutism tonight from the opposition. A lot of excuse-making from the opposition. What about Qatar? What about Turkey? What about Iran? Defenders of Saudi Arabia often say. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by the opposition. What they'll try and say to you, I'm guessing, is that yes, knowing what we know about Saudi Arabia, we should all be concerned. We should all be upset. We should all be outraged. But we shouldn't do anything about it. We certainly shouldn't cut any of our ties 
Because, remember the whataboutism, what about the cost of cutting ties with Saudi Arabia, they'll say. What about the fact that our economies need Saudi Arabia? Which isn't a fact, by the way, it's complete hyperbole. In 2017, U.S. exports to Saudi Arabia accounted for a whopping 1.1% of U.S. exports. In 2016, here in the U.K., British exports to Saudi Arabia accounted for 1.3% of overall U.K. exports worldwide. What about the oil, they say? Well, the United States is now the world's biggest producer of oil. In fact, the U.S. has produced more oil than Saudi Arabia for four straight years in a row. By the way, isn't it about time we stopped allowing the Saudis to use their oil to try and blackmail the rest of the world? What about intelligence sharing, they say? What about the war on terror? President Trump said last November that we can't abandon the Saudis because, and I quote, they're leading the fight against radical Islamic terrorism. What? Are you kidding me? We're supposed to thank them for trying to sort out the terrorism problem that they helped start? And before we forget, Saudi Arabia is allied on the ground in Yemen right now with Al-Qaeda. They're working with Al-Qaeda on the ground, according to reporting both by the BBC and the Associated Press. They're also the second largest source of foreign fighters to ISIS. Two and a half thousand Saudis have signed up with that group. And as a leaked U.S. State Department cable famously put it, donors in Saudi Arabia constitute the most significant source of funding to Sunni terrorist groups worldwide. So ladies and gentlemen, asking the Saudis to help lead the fight against terrorism is like asking the mafia to help lead the fight against organized crime. It's like asking Donald Trump and his kids to lead the fight against nepotism and corruption. It's absurd. Let's be serious here. There is a reason why the Algerian novelist Kamal Daoud famously wrote that the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is basically an ISIS that's made it. An ISIS that's made it. So why? Why? Why are we so closely allied with such a kingdom? Well, what about Iran? They say we need Saudi Arabia against Iran. Even though the last time I checked, there were 15 Saudis on those planes, not 15 Iranians. But even if you're worried about the threat posed by Iran, note how every step that the Saudis have taken in recent years has helped and empowered Iran. They bombed Yemen and pushed the Houthi rebels closer into the arms of Iran. They, they blockaded Qatar and pushed Qatar and Iran together. They prompted the Iraqi government to invite in Iranian militias to fight in Iraq against insurgent groups, many of whom were quietly backed by the Saudis. MBS, Mr. Bonesaw himself, the Saudi crown prince, who was behind almost all of those decisions, He's basically the reverse Midas. Everything he, turned, everything he touches turns to shit, right? It's the reverse Midas effect. And that is the ally. That's the ally we need to cut ties with. That's the man, the ruler, who we need to keep our distance from, both metaphorically and physically. And let's be clear. This is not, atta- this is not about attacking Saudi Arabia, the country. I want to be clear tonight. Or being anti the Saudi people. It's about standing up to an out of control and pernicious Saudi government. In fact, we've screwed over the Saudi people for decades. Opposition groups, religious minorities, women's rights activists, journalists, dissidents. We have thrown them under the bus by cozying up to the Saudi regime, by propping up the Saudi regime, by deepening our ties with Riyadh instead of cutting down our ties with Riyadh. Let's also be clear about the wording of this admittedly awkwardly worded motion that we have before us. Cut ties doesn't mean blockade them or bomb them. It doesn't mean we treat Saudi Arabia like Saudi Arabia treats Yemen. We're not calling for regime change either. But what it does mean is we no longer treat them as our BFF in the Middle East. We no longer supply them with bombs that they then use with our assistance to flatten schools, hospitals, bakeries, flour mills, power stations across the poorest country in the Arab world. It means we no longer cover for them at the United Nations or help get them a seat on the UN Human Rights Council as David Cameron so shamelessly did. It means we do not call on our governments to roll out the red carpet for the Saudis every time they come to town, as Crispin literally did on the BBC last March, roll out the red carpet for MBS. That's what we mean by cutting ties tonight. That's what we're arguing for. That's what we want you to vote for tonight. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of people out there watching this debate. They're going to be watching on YouTube elsewhere. Saudi princes, Saudi trolls, arms dealers, the torturers outside Lujain al-Hathlul's prison cell. 
We need to send them a message that tonight we draw a line in the sand and we say no more. We will not allow you to thumb your nose at international law. We will not allow you to ignore basic global norms of decency and human rights. We will not allow you to get away with cold-blooded murder in Istanbul. We will not allow you to strangle an entire country and create the biggest humanitarian crisis in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, you all know full well that it is well past time to draw that line in the sand, to cut ties with Saudi Arabia, to stop treating them as an ally, a friend, when they are none of the above. Send that message tonight. Vote for the motion tonight. Thank you very much for your time. Your hands will get tired if you clap too long for every speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, our first speaker against the motion, who very much enjoyed Mehdi Hassan's intervention, Mamoun Fandi, Egyptian-born, expert on the Middle East, eloquent speaker, or so they say. He's the president of the London think tank, London Global Strategy Institute, and he's the author of Saudi Arabia and the Politics of Dissent. Mahmoud Fandi's interests, I'm told, include politics of the Arab world, terrorism and radical Islamic politics, regional security issues in the region, and definitely intelligence squared, since he came out of his sickbed tonight to join us. Please welcome him, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good evening, and I would like to thank the organizers very much for inviting me to participate in this. I have to admit it's certainly very difficult to come after the young and, and handsome Mahdi with a full head of hair uh, to argue against uh, the motion. I would like to really take issues with uh, three areas that I would like to debate calmly and dispassionately. Uh, one, one is the issue of should the West, should the West cut ties with Saudi Arabia. What West? I mean, we're talking about an international system made of nation states, an international order that's made of international law. So the idea of that there is something called a West uh, suggests a great deal of hierarchy and values that the West can act on behalf of international law, on behalf of humanity, that Africa doesn't exist, Asia doesn't exist, nowhere else the morally superior West can act on behalf of everybody else and cut ties with, with Saudi Arabia. I mean, we've seen how the West acts in 2003 on the attack on Iraq. And if uh, the case of, of the horrible murder of Jamal Khashoggi in Istanbul uh, and the, the alleged cutoff uh, uh, parts of his body, as Mahdi said, one can also look at Abu Ghraib prisons. Uh, was, did the West cut ties with the United States? Did the United States, was the United States brought to an international crime tribunal for these abuses? So the idea of really just creating a special yardsticks for countries that we don't like is not very helpful for the notion of international law and order. Now, Saudi Arabia is certainly uh, not a Jeffersonian democracy, but uh, Saudi Arabia is a country that's made out of the desert sand, and it continued probably for the last 300 years, uh, various generations, and is very important for Muslims worldwide, for one billion Muslims who pray five times to Mecca every day, Saudi Arabia is very important. Saudi Arabia is also very important for regional stability. It is not a small state, it's a very important state, and I don't think we should throw the baby with the bathwater because one horrible crime was committed. I take issues with my friend Mahdi, who made a point of Gamal Khashoggi, and Gamal, in the same way that he's a friend of mine, he's a friend of mine, and it pains me to talk about him that way. Um, 
But I would remind Mahdi that at the same, probably two days later, after the death of Gamal Khashoggi or the disappearance of Gamal Khashoggi, a Bulgarian journalist, uh, Victoria Minerva, was killed, raped and murdered in Sofia. Nobody held uh, the, uh, the regime in Bulgaria accountable. Nobody even talked about it or mentioned it because we just measure global issues with different yardsticks. I don't mind at all that we call on Saudi Arabia to respect human rights and Saudi Arabia to abide by the rule of law, but certainly we don't give a pass for everybody else because we don't like Saudi Arabia. Um, very importantly, I think uh, all of us have to reflect on, on, on some of these issues. Uh, when, when one talks about should the West again, should the West cut off ties uh, with Saudi Arabia, it's very much like saying should Canada lead on the problem in Venezuela. I mean, this is, these are non-starters in, in real politics and the world of sane men and women uh, who consider the world at large not one single issue at a time. I wonder, those of you who want the West to cut off ties can tell me how do we cut off ties? And did it work anywhere else? I mean, the United States cut off ties with Cuba for God knows how many years, half a century, and Cuba remained, Castro remained, and Cuba became worse. The conditions of the Cuban people did not improve. The United States cut off relationship with Iran since the revolution of 1979. The Iranian regime still with us 40 years later. Uh, the United States cut off ties with uh, North Korea and back the United States trying to cut deals with, with West Korea. So when we talk about how can we do this, I mean, as sane, reasonable people, it's reasonable to call on Saudi Arabia to respect human rights. It is reasonable to have very targeted sanctions uh, against individuals who, who committed crimes, but it is not reasonable to just isolate a, a whole country. Secondly, arguing against Mahdi here, first of all, in a world of sovereign states, where every nation is sovereign, has its own laws and regulations, why Saudi Arabia is different. Saudi Arabia came to us and said, there is a judicial process in place to try those who committed the crime in Istanbul. What's wrong with waiting for this process to end? Saudi Arabia decided that it will take issues with those who committed the crime. Now, all of us, there is a great deal of assumptions that the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia is behind the scene. I would like to see a video or an audio or something like that that says, that links Mohammed bin Salman to this crime. I have yet to see it. I mean, this is... Here we are in, quote-unquote, the West, where there is due process and, and people are innocent until proven guilty. Somehow we decided this man ordered things and he is absolutely guilty for committing this crime. Make, I, making these leaps and jumps justifies reason. And, and I think my problems, as somebody who came from Egypt, got education in the West, and believed in, quote-unquote, the values of the West. I still believe that people are innocent until proven guilty. But just jumping, uh, frog-hopping here and there, try to link points that are not linked to satisfy a, a revenge that's burning inside us and taking some scapegoat somewhere and linking a whole regime and a whole country to one crime. I think it's just, I would probably refer it as immature and romantic notion of international politics. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Mahmoud Fandi. Also young, also handsome. <laughs> Our second speaker for the motion, 
Professor Madawi al-Rashid. She's a leading thinker on Saudi Arabia. She is from the kingdom, and her latest book is Salman's Legacy, The Dilemma of a New Era in Saudi Arabia. Madawi al-Rashid is a professor of social anthropology in the Middle East Center at the London School of Economics. Ladies and gentlemen, she has debated two other times this very issue that we confront tonight. She won one debate, she lost one debate. Three times lucky or unlucky? Ladies and gentlemen, up to you to decide. Madawi al-Rashid. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's a pleasure for me to participate in this debate for the third time. I will keep doing it as long as I have to. And thank you for inviting me to be part of, of this panel. Um, as you have noticed, I'm the only woman on the panel, and I'm also the only Saudi person on the panel. But let me put the Saudi a word in inverted commas, because I need to tell you about a, 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 his, a little history that is very personal. I came to Britain in 1983 as a young student who wanted to pursue her education at the most esteemed universities in Britain. I went to Cambridge, I did my master, and also I did my PhD. As I finished my PhD in social anthropology, looking at the history of Saudi Arabia, I, my father got a phone call from nobody but Prince Salman at the time. He was the governor of Riyadh. And Prince Salman conveyed the information to my father that if I publish my PhD thesis, I will be subjected to disciplinary action whatever that means. Well, of course, I went ahead and published my dissertation and published another 14, 15 books afterwards. I remained, I remained Saudi, living in Britain, moving to different jobs, becoming a professor at British universities here in London, first at King's College, and then I moved to LSE. But in 2005... I got another phone call from my father who was informed by the king of Saudi Arabia that my Saudi nationality was withdrawn. So, luckily, I was a British citizen by that stage. Why was it withdrawn? Because I went on television to, to object to the fact that Saudi women were deprived of participating as voters and candidates in the municipal elections. So I lost my Saudi passport, but my story is not unique. You probably have heard in the last two weeks the story about Rahaf Al-Qunun, who escaped from Saudi Arabia, ended up in Thailand, and then Canada luckily accepted her as an asylum seeker. According to the United Nations, UNHCR, there are now two, over 2,000 Saudi asylum seekers going to the United States, to Canada, and Britain. Today, Saudi Arabia is a pressure cooker on the verge of implosion, simply because the so-called reforms of the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who is hailed by the international media from the New York Times to the Washington Post to our press here in Britain, is the great revolutionary reformer. He allows Saudis to go to concerts and he allows women to attend football matches if accompanied by their male guardians. So this top-down revolution that is happening is producing asylum seekers is producing the people, the real people, who have been mentioned by my colleague Mehdi Hassan. So from women activists, from uh, people who are simply tweeting, people who are at university, my colleague Hatoun Al-Fasi, she studied in Manchester University. She is an archaeologist specializing in deciphering the inscription of the Nabataean civilization in the north of Saudi Arabia. That Mohammed bin Salman wants to become a tourist attraction uh, uh, 
encouraging you, the educated audience, to go and see this archaeological site. She specializes in deciphering the inscriptions of this ancient civilization. She is now in prison and has been since June 2018. Her crime, nobody knows. According to the Saudi press, we have uh, the front pages of the Saudi-owned newspapers talking about these women activists who had been put in jail as traitors, as agents of foreign governments. I myself are, is uh, called also a traitor, an agent of the British intelligence services, simply because I write books, enjoy the freedom of speech that this country allows me and my own country deprives me of. So, if we're talking, I do agree with my colleague, uh, Mamoun, when we say the West, I don't like these generalizations. In as much as I don't like the idea that there is a Muslim world out there or an Arab world. No, we're talking about individual countries. In Britain, for example, we are always told that we can't shun those people who torture their own citizens, who bomb other countries. We have to have constructive engagement with them, a dialogue with them. My colleague here, the right honorable gentleman, uh, Crispin, asked the Saudi embassy to allow him to go to Saudi Arabia or allow a team to investigate the alleged torture of women activists. And what did the Saudi embassy do? Didn't reply, I understand. So far, I do not see any change of behavior. Women activists are put in prison, uh, tortured also, um, and uh, I cannot see that this situation has changed. So the domestic situation is really bad. But we can't express or expect different Western government to cut ties with Saudi Arabia. By cutting ties, I mean the different Western governments should suspend their unconditional support for the Saudi regime and underline the word unconditional support. So when MBS orders the killing of a journalist, he, until now, we don't give him an ultimatum, whereas we give the Venezuelan president an ultimatum to have elections. <laughs> and we don't regard that as interfering in the sovereignty of the Venezuelan people. But when it comes to Saudi Arabia, oh, no, no, we can't interfere because those people are ruled by Sharia, some kind of Islamic law, that they are not like us. We exoticize them. We make Saudis look as if they are extraterrestrial, that they are governed by a law that is not shared by humanity. When the Saudi regime abuses its own people, it's violating international values and norms, and we have to be responsible for that. At the international uh, level, how do we boycott a country? How do you put pressure on a country? Well, my friend gave the example of Cuba, but remember that Britain, the US, are the main suppliers of the weapons that Saudi Arabia uses to destabilize the region rather than create stability. In Lebanon, they force the prime minister to resign to precipitate a crisis. In Bahrain, they intervened to derail the democracy impulse in 2011. And in Qatar, they fractured the solidarity of Gulf countries. In Yemen, I don't need to tell you about Yemen, the poorest country of the Arab world. So, ladies and gentlemen, you are an educated audience. Your vote is extremely important because you're sending a message to our government here in Britain and around the world as this debate will be seen by so many people outside this country. You are sending a debate rejecting this unconditional support, the carte blanche that the Saudi regime gets from different Western countries. Thank you very much.
Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. Thank you to Madawi Al-Rashid. Last but not least, our last speaker against the motion, Crispin Blunt, regarded as one of the most experienced foreign policy voices in the UK Parliament. As Madawi Al-Rashid mentioned, he was part of an MP's panel that went to Saudi Arabia to consider the jail conditions for Saudi women activists. It was published today and concluded that their jail conditions could be akin to torture. He's the Conservative MP for Rygate Chair, and he was Chair of the House of Commons Foreign Affairs Select Committee from 2015 to 2017. Welcome to Crispin Blunt, against the motion. uh, Thank you very much for that introduction, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And during my 21 years as a Conservative Member of Parliament, I have consistently defended the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia's important relationship with the United Kingdom. And I have supported continuing UK arms exports to the Saudi-led coalition operating with unanimous international endorsement uh, in the Yemen. And indeed, as has been pointed out, I did welcome the visit of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman to the UK last year. And I suspect many of you, without knowing who I am, seeing that a Conservative Member of Parliament was arguing against this motion, might have been unsurprised, unchallenged by your expectations. However, I hope you are ready to hear a more nuanced point of view and that I can challenge your expectations. Now, I first met Mohammed bin Salman when leading a Commons Foreign Affairs Committee on a visit to Riyadh in December 2015. And over a meeting lasting an hour and a half, I confess I was impressed by his strategic grasp and his ability to engage on all questions on, uh, on all fronts. I've also made countless diplomatic and parliamentary visits to the region since 1993, when I became the Foreign Secretary's then Special Advisor. So I hope I have a decent understanding of the realities of the region, at least by parliamentary standards. Um, therefore, it is I who perhaps am most disappointed with the current state of the kingdom. And I have acute anxieties for its future and the implications that has for the region. And to that end, I hope you will have the chance to glance at this report that I and two parliamentary colleagues, Leila Moran and Dr. Paul Williams, have published today. It was a detention review panel examining the conditions of eight female detainees and four of their male supporters. And indeed, the name that uh, Mehdi gave first in his speech is the first listed here, whose case uh, we uh, reviewed. And I accepted the task of reviewing the detention convictions of these women's rights activists and their male supporters, partly because I hoped I would command the confidence of both Saudi Arabia and its critics for actually being fair. I'm the man who chaired a Foreign Affairs Committee report on Brexit three times, three different reports, and brought them all home unanimously despite a committee split down the middle. And I hoped that my engagement with the Gulf monarchies and public appreciation for the stability those rulers have brought to the Gulf Cooperation Council would lead to cooperation from the Kingdom, emphasising the panel's honest and independent nature. However, as I've already made clear, I'm incredibly disappointed by the series of events that lie behind tonight's debate. And the murder of Jamal Khashoggi provides the most gruesome backdrop. And least 
uh, made clear that our report concluded that the detainees have been subjected to cruel and inhumane treatment, including sleep deprivation, assault threats to life and solitary confinement. And their treatment is likely to amount to torture. And if they are not provided with urgent access to medical assistance, they are at risk of developing long-term health conditions. Torture is a crime of universal jurisdiction, and no nation that can claim to be a liberal democracy can, in all conscience, allow such heinous crimes to go unanswered. So, of course, we must evaluate our ties with Saudi Arabia. We must show the benefits of openness on society. We have a duty to help. Britain has levers of influence in the kingdom, and we should be intent on pulling them to influence where we can. Indeed, I believe we have a moral responsibility to do so. The picture in Saudi Arabia is as complex as the personality of its young crown prince. The moves of Mohammed bin Salman towards economic reform with Vision 2030 have been accompanied by wider social reform. The removal of arrest powers from the religious police. They have actually prepared the legislation for the easing of male guardianship laws, although it remains to be implemented. And the granting of women's right to drive and the opening of public places of entertainment stands as an incongruous contradiction when you lock up the individuals who were calling for these things in the first place. And I want to state very plainly that the attitude and the actions of the kingdom cannot be tolerated. But we must address the motion itself. I agree um, with the analysis about the term of the West and how difficult that is. So I'm going to focus principally on the United Kingdom. But cutting ties which I interpret as cutting all ties, otherwise this debate is simply about semantics, is a rare step in a diplomatic arsenal. Indeed, a full, unambiguous severing of ties is not a simple action. We reserve such decisions for countries we are at war with or who seek to subvert our institutions. The United Kingdom expelled 23 Russian diplomats in the wake of Russia's proved involvement in the attempted murder of the Skripals and the death of Dawn Sturges sending a strong diplomatic signal that Russia is a bad-faith intellectual actor. And I am under no illusions that the status quo with Saudi Arabia is acceptable. However, cutting all ties would amount to both self-harm and harm to the cause of reform in Saudi Arabia, but cutting some ties in certain areas may and indeed should be carried out. But defence, our principal relationship, illustrates the dilemma. I've historically defended British arms sales to the kingdom. And although a re-evaluation of our defence relationship must be on the table, severing this link would probably be highly detrimental to global security in the long term, whilst obviously painful for our economy and defence industry. But more importantly, we live in a loose, liberal, democratic, rules-based world order, underpinned by NATO, the US security umbrella, and of course the United Nations. And this has not always been the case. And indeed, it may be in reverse. Indeed, as a liberal democracy, we should do all in our power to prevent more authoritarian countries who place less value on the rule of law from becoming the dominant paradigm of the world. Cutting totally defence ties with Saudi Arabia would be a gift to increasing the values of China and Russia on the world stage. Right now, we have been able to improve their conduct of the Yemen operation and help them bring... Uh, the Houthis and themselves and their allies to the peace table. One of the ironies of the relative ineffectiveness of the Saudi military efforts that have seen thousands die is that millions are now at the risk of starvation. And I don't think that's anything many of this in this room would wish for. A full disengagement with Saudi Arabia's armed forces will remove whatever British oversight exists. And do you really want to drive Saudi Arabia towards the re-education camps of Jiangxing, of Russian conduct in Chechnya and Syria, and that these countries who place such wretchedly low value on human rights, the integrity of the individual and the rule of law. But let me illustrate with another dilemma over justice. I was dismayed when in 2015 Britain cancelled the contract for the Ministry of Justice to provide training for prison staff in Saudi Arabia which had the admirable goal of providing advice on the improvement of its detention system. And I still maintain that that cancellation was populist nonsense. 
And whilst it may have been popular, it achieved nothing but a sense of moral satisfaction for the United Kingdom. We were able to assure ourselves that we had no part to play in a justice system which executes for offences that might not even be crimes in the United Kingdom. But we gave up on the chance to improve the Saudi prison system. Of course, public shaming and isolation of offending regimes has a place and can be a spur to progress. But in our instance, thumbing our noses at Saudi prisons merely hardened their attitudes and leading to the current wretched state of detention, which was one of the reasons I was happy to chair uh, this panel. Now, Saudi Arabia has acknowledged once upon a time under King Abdullah, who said that reason rules the world, ethics rules the world, and these can rule the world. This can and should be the case. But we need to drag Mohammed bin Salman along these lines with whatever parts of pressure we can adopt. Otherwise, uh, we have the prospect of an absolute monarchy, ruled, ruling terror, totally closing down the, the space for civil society in Saudi Arabia. And in the end, there will be revolution. And what will follow will be infinitely worse than what they have now. speakers on a very important motion. The West should cut ties with Saudi Arabia. This is how you voted when you came in the Emanuel Center this evening. For the vote, 41% of you said the West should cut ties with Saudi Arabia. 41%. 22 of you were against, and a big 37% of you came into this hall tonight undecided. And perhaps you are making up your mind right now. And now is the time for you to ask your questions. Where am I looking? Number one, who's going to have the, the honor of asking the first excellent question? Hi, thank you so much. I thought it was a really interesting debate and like, I'm really glad that I attended. I wanted to ask that the speakers for the motion that um, if the West does cut ties with Saudi Arabia, which I like, agree with all of your points, how do we ensure that the same thing doesn't happen in terms of um, civil war like has happened in other Arab nations? Thank you. Right over here, number two. A related point, which, uh, which is that uh, we're very concerned in this country about the cutting of ties between Britain and Europe, which could come about through Brexit. <laughs> if we have this cutting of ties between the West and uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, what comes after this? Saudi Arabia is such a central pillar of such an unstable part of the world, the proposition have completely failed to talk about what comes if they succeed in their desire to, get, uh, to change a regime which they see as being abhorrent. Thank you. And way in the back, number three. Uh, it was a question for Mr. Blunt. Um, you talked about countries that seek to subvert our institutions, um, but when BAE systems were investigated for bribing Saudi officials, the Saudi government threatened British lives on British streets and it was withdrawn. Um, so I don't see them respecting our institutions. Mr. Blunt, you'll have a minute to think about that. Uh, Madawi al-Rashid, the first two questions were roughly the same. What will happen? Oh. Could be civil war, could be something worse if ties are cut. Madawi. Well, the assumption that if the Saudi regime uh, uh, falls, then we're going to have a, a civil war like in Syria, in Libya, etc. But we forget that the Saudi regime itself played an incredible central role in turning Syria into a sectarian war rather than a, a, a pre-democracy movement that wanted to gain all the rights that we enjoy here. The Saudis were the second cohort of jihadis who went to Syria to derail that impulse towards democracy. And Saudi Arabia is not just about conservatives and about jihadis. Uh, of course, the name the Saudi regime is associated with violence that is practiced by um, terrorists in the name of Islam. Let's, but let's take the question. The question was, but 
Whatever your disagreements with the kingdom now, if you cut ties, it will okay. get worse. What I'm not going to play counterfactuals. It's worse now. We're complicit in a war in Yemen now. I want to stop our complicity now. Not, not deal with kind of hypotheticals that it might get worse. It's horrible now, and Saudi's a big part of that. Crispin Blunt, we heard a question about the BAE systems, and what you call constructive engagement is, she mentions threats. Um, I, I confess I haven't heard the explicit Saudi threat to British citizens on, British, on, on, on British streets. It was under um, Blair. Uh, however, uh, what I am pleased about is the fact that our country not only has the toughest arms exports controls um, that I've found globally, um, but also has passed, both parties supported the passing of the Bribery Act in, uh, in 2010 to make sure that our standards are consistently the highest uh, the highest in the world. There will always have been things wrong um, in, the, in the past. Of, co- of course there have, but what we, need to, what we need to be committed to is consistent improvement. And what we also need to be committed to is to try and rescue Saudi Arabia from the threat in the end of revolution. And if revolution happens in Saudi Arabia, do not think that there is going to be some uh, a nice, cosy regime, perhaps led by the Al-Rashid family, who were replaced by the Sauds in the first, very first part of the 20th century. Um, uh, what will follow is likely, is likely to be very, very ugly indeed. Question number four. Hi. Um, thank you so much for everyone who's talked tonight. It's been fascinating. Um, firstly, um, so, Crispin, I just want to take issue with the attitude you say that Britain has a civilizing influence on Saudi. Um, this seems slightly, uh, almost a harken back to colonial times to myself. Um, I mean, given the fact that we have the war in Yemen, as discussed, atrocities wrought upon its own people, um, this just seems patently false. Um, but my question really is that because the U.S. aligns with Saudi is a large, um, in a large degree to part of its blanket support for Israel against Iran in the region, what will it take to remove the support? Right here, question number two from the floor. Okay, one, let's take this gentleman here right in the front row, and then we have one in the back. The debate's been very much framed in terms of human rights, um, but I'd like to ask the audience to uh, change the paradigm and look at this from a perspective of what is in the, the real political interest of Britain. Is Saudi a threat or not to the UK, the export of terrorism from Saudi, uh, religious fundamentalism, etc. And how would Saudi compare to other significant countries in the region? If I were a Martian coming down to earth, why is it that the West is historically so close to Saudi Arabia as opposed to other regimes um, in the region which might appear to be more liberal? Okay, and we're going to take one here in this corner. Very good. Um, this is to the opposition. Do you not think that by not cutting ties with Saudi Arabia, we are telling authoritarian regimes that they can essentially do what they want and that the West's moral responsibilities are essentially worthless when it really matters? Well said. The problem for policymakers is if you camp out on the moral high ground and you absolve yourself of responsibilities for what follows... Um, you may then have to cope with what is going to follow because you've taken that option. It is, in many ways, it would be the easy thing to do, um, to say that we should cut all ties and have uh, nothing more uh, to do with them. But then we have nothing more to do with the consequences of what will follow. And I am profoundly anxious about what may now happen in Saudi Arabia. And I think we should be bending every effort um, to try and get Saudi Arabia back onto a track towards progress that is both economic progress and also social progress. And it's gone very badly. His specific question was, and we should have... His specific question was, won't it send a signal to others that they can get away with it? Not just Saudi Arabia. It will have a ripple effect. Exactly. And the the consequence of what we do will then be to drive them into the hands of nations like Russia and China, whose moral code is not one that I think any of us should want to share or support. And that would be the consequence um, of of taking that position. It's the world is full of horrible, hard choices. Mehdi, would you like to take the human rights question, just the question which is, which is, why are, is there a threat 
If the, all of this is being focused on human rights, we had a gentleman asking, well, no, what I, threat is there to the United Kingdom? I mean, I completely agree. The, I, I mean, we, I, don't, I, don't, I don't push it in my speech because, you know, I have an issue with the whole war on terror discourse, but I do find it odd that people on the right who told us for years that we should be worried about terrorists under every bet, who tell us that Muslims are all extremists, who tell us that mosques are funding radicalism, don't seem to care that one of the major countries, perhaps the major country, behind a lot of the ideology is Saudi Arabia. That's what even right-wing think tanks like the Henry Jackson Society, which I'm no fan of, produce reports saying Saudi Arabia is the foremost chief proponent of Islamist funding in the UK. So I do find that to be a problem. And this is not just a moral point. The young gentleman made a very good point. This is not just about morality. You talk about, this is about consequences. If you say to them you can do whatever you want, if they kidnap the Lebanese Prime Minister, if they blockade Qatar, if they carry on funding jihadists in Syria, if they kill journalists in consulate, but if they do all this without any consequence, that is a problem. And sorry, this is not about liberal or young people. Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, who you know well, one of the most hawkish Republican members of the Senate, hardcore supporter of Saudi Arabia, says, and I quote, we don't want to give a green light to others that they can go down this road. He says he will not support Saudi Arabia while it is run by this reckless crown prince, and he is no liberal. Madhavi, yes. Yeah. Would you like to take the question Just of the lady? Uh, yes. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, you know, we're not asking every British citizen in this um, uh, hall to care about the plight of Saudi detainees. Yes, I don't want to get uh, stuck in a human right argument. We are realists. We understand politics. But it is in the interest of the British people not to have unconditional support for a regime like Saudi Arabia. In 1980, somebody asked the question about how they corrupt our institutions here in Britain. You're absolutely right. In 1980... Saudi Arabia cut diplomatic relations with Britain because there was a, a film shown on one of the British channel called Death of Princess about a princess who wanted to marry a commoner and she was beheaded. Right? So nine months of no diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Britain. In just last summer, when a Canadian foreign minister criticized the detention of women activists, what did Saudi Arabia do? They kicked out the Canadian ambassador. And, and uh, Germany criticized Saudi Arabia when it tried to destabilize Lebanon. What happened? They canceled all the armed uh, sales with Germany. Sweden, again, women activists. The plight of women activists and the situation in Saudi Arabia was criticized in Sweden, and immediately they called the passport. Yes, Saudi Arabia doesn't behave in a, in a civilized manner when it comes to diplomatic relations. Yes, Britain didn't cut diplomatic relations with Russia after they killed, uh, they attempted to kill two Russians in, on our soil here, but Saudi Arabia is very quick to, to cut relations with Britain if Britain uttered one word of criticism. If we take the example of Canada and the rest of the world. So, Crispin, there was there was a question to you about your use of the word civilizing influence, and a question which was looking also at the relationship with but, the but, United but States. But let's be clear: the last thing I am arguing for is unconditional support for uh, for, for Saudi Arabia. You literally um, said roll out the red carpet for MBS. Uh, yes, because it's not the um, same thing as unconditional. That, that is not that is not it's the worse. same thing. And having 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 having, having met him, to Saudi Arabia, that's having unconditional. Having, having met him and uh, and been, uh, I confess, impressed by his uh, this this uh, young man being presented to us. The, as we were briefed before we went in, you will be surprised by the, his, 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 grasp of, his grasp of affairs, which was one to one or one to four of M, M, the MPs there over a prolonged period is impressive. He, this is why he went to the United States and wowed audiences from one end of the United States to the other and had the ability to communicate in all sorts of different ways with other people. Now, but what we've then seen, what we have then, by but then, and then, what, They're and then this, is, this is part it is of the complexity. By this is part of the complexity. This is part of the complexity we have got to deal with. This is the same guy who almost certainly um, gave, approved the operation against Jamal Khashoggi. This is the same guy whose intelligence, chief intelligence officer appears to have overseen the mistreatment of women detainees in Saudi Arabia. This is the same guy who has now drawn all the levers of power uh, into his own hands in, in Saudi Arabia. And yes, I think the best thing will be, for, frankly, is if Saudi 
Saudi Arabia could find itself another ruler. Um, of course, whether you are then going to overthrow the entire system on that basis is another question. But that is going to be a decision for the Saudis to take. Question number one, please. Yeah, uh, as, as a convert to Islam when I was 20 years old, that was five years ago, <laughs> I, I would like to ask the, the panel, both, both sides, isn't Saudi Arabia complicit in this, ex, this export of fundamentalist, puritanical, uh, jihadi concepts. And it's infected mosques and young people all over the Western world. Don't, don't you think that somebody should call, the, the, the governments of the West need to call Saudi Arabia to account for what they're doing? And they're funding these mega preachers. So are you saying so, they should, excuse me, are you saying they should cut ties or keep ties? They should cut ties okay. with Saudi Arabia in some form or another. You to no hold idea. them responsible for their distortion of Islam, which has, has led so much. Thank you, sir. Over here. Uh, when we talk about Saudi Arabia spreading radical Islam, we have to remind people that it was the basic radical organization started in Egypt in 1928 under Sayyid Qutb. The ultimate ideologue of Salafi jihadism is Abul Al al-Maududi came from subcontinent. I did anybody say that there is a Saudi who has the same standing as Maududi or as Sayyid Qutb or as uh, Hassan al-Banna? It is none. I mean, these are followers. They, Saudi Arabia was taken over by the Muslim Brotherhood at some point when Nasser drove, him out, drove them out of Egypt. Then uh, big Brzezinski during the Cold War recruited Saudis, short history, recruited Saudis to go and fight in Afghanistan as part of many client states and under the leadership of none other than Osama bin Laden, as my friend pointed out, the, the uh, very close friend of Al, of Al Jazeera Network, uh, who had the exclusive rights uh, to all his tapes and, and interviews. So the, this is... So you, the, you, there, dispute, there is myth, you dispute his entire question myth, that Saudi Arabia... There is a myth you, being peddled yes. that Saudi Arabia is the bedrock of the whole thing. The whole thing is spring So you dispute, you dispute well. the question that it's, it's not it's distorting not Islam. It's, it's not factual. factual. Okay. It's factual okay. error. Okay. Can I, can Mehdi, I, can I you respond? Could, a question from the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. He's asking, why, do you, why don't you give more positive news about what's happening in Saudi Arabia? Oh, there's lots of positive news. The idea that positive news about Saudi Arabia is missing, or the idea that Saudis don't have a voice in the Western media. Saudi Arabia has one of the biggest army of lobbyists of any country in the Western world. They have op-eds, conference. I live in Washington, D.C. There are conferences, think tanks sponsored by the Saudi government all the time. There are op-eds in U.S. newspapers. Sponsored. Some of them are written by the Saudi government and hand it out to U.S. politicians to publish under their names. So this is absurd, the idea that Saudi Arabia doesn't get a hearing in the Western press. As for the idea that Al Jazeera is a friend of bin Laden, it's an absurd claim being made for many years, but I find it ironic that Al Jazeera is being blamed for Osama bin Laden, who was a Saudi national last time I checked. And just one point I must make, uh, Mahmoud, he was stripped of it as well. But let me just make one very quick point to Mahmoud. Mahmoud, Mahmoud I've got to say this. You talk about Islam and Maududi and Khutub. Uh, the Christian Science Monitor published a piece in the 1990s saying that Egypt bow down to Saudi-style Islam. As a student, I saw fundamentalist students go to Saudi Arabia, come back and distribute books. Saudi-style fundamentalism unnerves Egyptians. Saudi influence must be curbed. The author of that piece was one Mamoun Fandi. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Well done. Well, well done. That's true. That's true. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still to my point. I'm still to my point that uh, you know, influencing young and so on through money and other things is, is really should be curbed. However, I have to remind you that no, there you are facts. You shouldn't bow to a Saudi-style Islam. Under Mubarak Ladies and gentlemen, no matter how you voted tonight, no matter what your view tonight, before the debate or after the debate, you have all, young and old, idealists or cynics, confirmed again the importance, the essential nature of impassioned, inspired, and most of all, of intelligent debate. And such is intelligence squared. How did you vote when you came in tonight? 41% of you said you were for the motion that the West should cut ties with Saudi Arabia. 22% of you were against. 
37% of you came into Emanuel Center tonight not quite sure what you thought. And what have you decided at the end of our evening? 63% of you are for the motion. Only 5% were undecided. 32% of you were against the motion. That was a swing, ladies and gentlemen, of 6% for the motion. The West should cut ties with Saudi Arabia. Thank you to our excellent panelists for the motion and against the motion. And thank you to all of you for all of your questions and your participation. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.